1: Hi everyone, this is John Hagedorn, and welcome to 1001 Stories for the Road, also known as Caffeine for the Curious, and your home for good old-fashioned entertainment. We're going to take you back to April 27th, 1850. Certainly not a day of fun and games for America, but a day when justice was won by people who were willing to stand up and fight for it. And here's our story. There's a McDonald's restaurant sitting on a piece of history on the banks of the Hudson River, Watervlier, New York, facing across the river to Troy, where everything today looks pretty much like what you would expect. Buildings, concrete, bridges, busy streets, commercial sprawl. A couple of small nondescript towns with people just going about their business. But 165 years ago, on April 27th, 1850, an event took place here that actually made the papers for a few days. It was a triumph of right over wrong at a time in America where change needed to happen, but it was awfully slow in coming. It all starts with a man whose name was Charles Nail. He was 29 years old. He had come from Virginia just two years ago, and he was originally working as a wagon driver, trucking lumber from the mills in Sand Lake, New York, to Troy. He was staying with the family of a man named Minot Crosby, who was a teacher and a missionary. It wasn't long before it was discovered that Charles couldn't read or write, so he was given assistance. And soon, Charles would write a letter to his family in Virginia, something he had never dared dreamed of doing until now. Soon he moved to Troy, where he took a job as a coach driver for a wealthy man named Uri Gilbert, a leading industrialist in Troy, and Gilbert's family befriended Charles. The future was looking good for him, with one stark exception. He was an escaped slave. And in 1850, in free states like New York, escaped slaves could be arrested and transported back to their owners thanks to the Fugitive Slave Act, recently passed by Congress as part of the Compromise of 1850 between southern slaveholding interests and northern free-soilers. An underground railway had been developed to help escaped slaves reach non-slave states and it was along that route that Charles had made his way toward Albany and what he hoped was freedom in the late months of 1858. The Minot family, and many others like them, were a critical factor in helping the flow of escaped slaves from the South along their route to freedom. They risked losing everything in doing this, but they believed every man had a right to freedom, and they backed up their beliefs with action. On this day in 1850, Charles was making a wagon run to the local bakery when he was approached by U.S. Deputy Marshal John Holmes and a man named Henry Whale, who was a slave catcher from Virginia, who worked for Blucher Hansborough, Charles' owner, and coincidentally, half-brother. But there wasn't a lot of brotherly love going around back in those days, Charles was realizing as they snapped on the irons and escorted him to the second floor of the mutual bank building in Troy, where the commissioner's office was to get the paperwork needed to carry Charles back to Virginia. But this wasn't going to go down as quietly as the sheriff and Wade had hoped. Yuri Gilbert's son noticed that Charles was missing from his wagon, discovered what was happening, and immediately informed the Vigilance Committee people in town. And in Troy there were many, and a crowd of hundreds soon gathered on the street below the commissioner's window. They were mostly black, with some whites mixed in as well and they began to raise a ruckus in the street. A familiar face appeared in front of the crowd, informing them that she was headed upstairs to make sure the sheriff hadn't left the building with Charles. She told the crowd that as long as they could see her, Charles was still in the building. They all knew her. It was Harriet Tubman, and they knew trouble was coming when she arrived because there was no backup in her. With the crowd on the street stood a huge black man, his name having been lost to history, who was proclaiming loudly to the people that a man and a brother of his was being held within the building, and he asked the crowd to stand and fight.
0: An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.
1: At 3.30 p.m., the crowd there at the corner of First and State Streets gasped as the window of the commissioner's office opened and the upper half of Charles's frame came over the edge, but invisible hands from inside pulled him back in. Minutes after this, Martin Townsend, the lawyer for the vigilante committee, took a right of habeas corpus to the commissioner's office, a stall designed to delay the removal of Charles until Judge Gould could decide upon it, a move which would force the sheriff to take Charles to the judge's office which was located a few blocks away where Russell Sage College now stands. By now the crowd had grown to about 2,000 people, and when Charles was escorted out of the building, Tubman shouted, Here they come! and ran up to Charles, grabbing him, refusing to let him go, as a wild melee ensued. She started screaming to the crowd, Drag us out! Drag us toward the river! Drown him if you have to, but don't let them have him! And the crowd, one large, moving mass now, closed in on Charles, Harriet, Wade, and the sheriff, and began moving them toward the bank of the Hudson River. Harriet's outer clothes were pulled from her, and her shoes were missing, but she maintained her grip on Charles, and upon reaching the river, tumbled him into a boat, which he headed across the river. Harriet followed on the ferry there at 16th Street, in the company of blacks and whites who were intent on rescuing Charles. But someone had telegraphed the law across the river, and ten minutes later, Charles was again in the custody of the law. And when Harriet reached land, she asked a group of school children where the black man was, and they told her the sheriff had taken him to a building nearby. There were gunshots, as a group of vigilantes were also trying to get to Charles, and they were being shot at by the sheriff's deputies. Two men were lying on the stairs of the building as she approached. She stormed into the building, somehow eluding the deputies, and burst into the third-floor room where Charles, manacled and bloody, was staring at her in amazement as she half-dragged him down the back stairs to the street. As one version of the story goes, a man riding a fine horse and wagon stopped to ask her what the disturbance was. She explained, and the man answered, incredibly, "'Take it. It's a blood horse.' You can drive him till he drops. And she pushed Charles onto the wagon while two members of the vigilante committee jumped in, one to drive and one to stay with Charles. They drove him down the road to the U.S. Army's Watervliet Arsenal, loaded him on another wagon, and drove him to Amsterdam, New York, and safety. One month later, the citizens of Troy collected $650 dollars worth about $14,000 today, and bought Charles Nail's freedom. He was able to return to Troy in 1860 and reunited with his family a few weeks later, where, for the first time in their lives, they could live together. Slaves in the South, even if married, were still kept miles away from their families. When the Civil War ended, Charles, Kitty, and their eight children moved to Washington, D.C., where Charles worked as a postal carrier and Kitty as a seamstress. He lived in D.C. till his death in July of 1875. Fast forward to 1932, when Charles's now 77-year-old son, John, happened to be passing through Troy on his way to Saratoga Springs and was asked to be a guest at a dedication of the plaque that the town was placing on the bank building to commemorate his father's escape all those years ago. John was flabbergasted. His father had never told him about it. He had no idea how much freedom had cost his father. Dad had never shared it with the family. When he returned home, John started to write a book about it, but died before he could complete it. And at that point, history swallows up the family and that almost forgotten event, which was survived by a long-forgotten headline in the New York Times titled... The Slave Rescue at Troy, and it read this way. Troy has had an excitement, a sensation that stirred from it its ordinary tranquility. The arrest of a fugitive slave, his rescue, recapture, re-rescue, and final escape. We have had crowds rushing through the streets, and a scene that at last put our quiet city on a par with Syracuse and its Jerry Rescue, or Baltimore and its plug-ugly habits. Give Troy credit for one event, a local occurrence that causes shears and scissors to be forgotten. Even the result of the prize fight that has just reached here is robbed half its glory by our local news mill. And that ends the article. One man saved, and there was still a long way to go, but America was headed in the right direction. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Stories for the Road, where every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we release a new episode for your listening enjoyment. 1001 Stories for the Road was inspired by our big brother, 1001 Heroes, the research for which has turned up a treasure chest of great stories. Too short for our typical 45-minute shows at 1001 Heroes. And these stories, averaging about 15 to 20 minutes each, needed a new home. So we created 1001 Stories for the Road. We're available 24-7 at iTunes, our terrific host, Audioboom.com, and everywhere great podcasts are found. We have two other 1001 shows out there, and we encourage you to give them a try. Those are 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories and Mysteries, and 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. You can catch all our 1001 network shows and archives, including this one, at www.1001storiespodcast.com and we encourage your posts at facebook.com forward slash 1001 stories for the road. We'll be back real soon.